Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Given that the holiday season is ironically when happiness and well-being are often at their lowest and anxiety is at its highest, I thought that it might be helpful to share with you five of my favorite podcast episodes with some of the world's foremost experts who can help you stay healthy, happy, and most importantly, stay sane through this holiday season. During the next five weeks, you're going to learn about the importance of movement, how it affects your creativity, and how to sneak it into your crazy day, even with minimal time. You're going to learn about the practice of intuitive eating so that you can still enjoy all the holiday food, but without the guilt. You're going to learn how to use mindfulness to keep calm amidst the holiday chaos. And finally, how you can maintain your sanity by improving the quality of your sleep. I'm also very excited to announce our brand new partnership with the Core 360 Active Chair, or what I call the Topo Mat of Desk Chairs. Just in time for the holiday season, the Core 360 is the perfect stocking stuffer for those of us who spend most of our day living in front of computers. Now be warned, you're probably also going to need to buy a much bigger stocking. Now to learn more about the Core 360 and how its simple but effective design can keep you more focused, more balanced, and more creative while sitting at your workstation, check out my interview with Core 360 founder Dr. Turner Osler at optimizeyourself.me slash episode 239. All right, without further ado, here's the third part of this five interview series with transformational eating coach Melissa Costello, who's going to help all of us better understand our relationship with food so that the holidays can be all about enjoyment without all of the rules, the restrictions, and the guilt. You can find the original show notes for this interview at optimizeyourself.me slash episode 84. I'm here today with Melissa Costello, who is a transformational eating coach, a certified nutritionist, and she's also the creator of the Food Freedom Breakthrough Program. And as a full disclaimer, you are also right now my current, you know what, I don't know what to call it, so I'm going to let you tell me what to call it. You're not a food coach. You're not a diet coach. I don't even know how to introduce you. So why don't you tell me, what, what is our relationship exactly? Well, I am what's considered a transformational eating coach, meaning... I actually help get people off of dieting, away from restrictive mindset, and more into what I call a normal functional relationship with food. Well, but hold on a second. My whole agenda today is I we were going to talk about the best diet that's out there right now. <laughs> I was really wanted to get my audience dialed into the best way to count calories, the best apps. Then, of course, there's macronutrients. It's a whole other conversation that you and I need to get into. <laughs> Not even to mention intermittent fasting. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cover all of this even in an hour. So we may not get to transformational eating. Like, what does that even mean? I mean, come on. Uh, thank you for making me laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. Transformational eating for me, and it's been it's been kind of this 
thing that's morphed for me as well, because I come from a very, very much a dieting background, a restrictive background. I had all kinds of emotional eating issues, issues with food, body image dysmorphia. And so this kind of transformational eating is really about finding freedom with food because for me, and I think possibly for you too, food has is always at the forefront and we can get very obsessive about it. We can create a dysfunctional relationship to it so that it's always in our minds. And then we are ve- living very black and white with food and not allowing ourselves the pleasure, right? There's that quote out there about, you know, missing out on 95% of your life, life just to weigh 5% less. And so what I'm really here to do is help people get into a relationship with food that feels like they can find pleasure in food, but not overdo it and, and really not do the emotional eating or use food as that crutch or that place that they go to for comfort and soothing, but to really learn how to do that on their own with themselves. Yeah. And that's really the the key that I want to hone in on today is it's about changing your relationship with food. This isn't about how do I lose a certain amount of weight? Um, I'm certainly not going to be uh, talking to an audience right now that is really obsessed with dieting to begin with. Everybody that's listening to this is most likely working in a creative field, probably in Hollywood, probably an editor. That's most of my audience. So it's not like the diet mentality is part of our culture where it's a matter of, oh, I got to get on this diet and I got to weigh a certain number of pounds. It's actually kind of on the flip side where it really is all about this culture of, oh yeah, let's go out to eat and oh, we're going to be staying late. So let's have pizza and beer and celebrate. And you know, well, every time I walk by the snack bookshelf that's right next to the refrigerator, when I have to you know, take a break, I just grab another handful of the chocolate covered almonds or whatever it is. And people don't realize how these small behaviors add up over time. And this was the same thing for me, but they also don't understand why they're making those choices. And that was kind of how I came to you. The way that you and I originally met, and you can go a little bit more into this in your background, um, was that I was going to be filming and putting together a promo package for Tony Horton, who is the host, uh, who's the creator of the P90X series. He's kind of become my de facto American Ninja Warrior mentor, Mr. Miyagi in a way. Uh, and you were going to be a guest speaker there. And I kind of read the, the write-up. I'm like, oh, this person sounds interesting. Interesting. I'd love to interview them. We connected. And then as we were doing the interview specifically for the promo, all I kept thinking was, oh my God, I need to work with you. Because you, it's <laughs> like you've crawled up inside my brain and you understand all of the horrible things I'm not willing to admit to anybody. So everybody kind of assumes with this podcast and with me training for Ninja Warrior and doing all these Spartan races and being the quote unquote healthy editor, oh, well, clearly diet isn't an issue for me. Right. What people don't understand is that diet is my Mount Everest. That is the summit that is nearly impossible for me to overcome. Exercising on a regular basis used to be tough. Now that's kind of become habit. A lot of other healthy behaviors have become rote habit, but diet is my Mount Everest. And you were speaking to all the things that weren't working for me. So I said, wow, again, it's, it's like you knew exactly what I was uh, struggling with. And even though you work primarily with women, I was thinking to myself, well, you get me right? So maybe there's like, maybe I have more estrogen than, than most men. I don't know what it is, but you knew exactly what my struggles were. And I remember coming up to you right afterwards saying, you and I are working together. I have to work with you. And we have been working together and we've been diving super, super deep into all this. So I wanted to give that background just so people listening are thinking, well, dieting or, you know, caring about how much I weigh or training for sports, that's not really my thing. However, the people that are listening, what you're eating has a huge impact on your ability to create fantastic creative work. Absolutely. Now, a huge discovery that I had in most of the behaviors that you have that are inhibiting your ability to be creative and make poor decisions have to do with emotions and behavior, not the next app or diet or whatever it is. So I guess where I want to start having that context is... Why don't diets work and why are there so many of them? Clearly, something must be working right if they're everywhere. Well, uh, I don't know about that. (laughs) Uh, I think it's part of human nature that we want the quick fix and that's exactly what a diet is. And so, you know, as a human being, we will always go for what's convenient or quick versus kind of doing the longer work, which is where now where you've gone, because you've done all the diets, you've done all the counting, you've done all the, right, the macros, all of that stuff. And now you've gotten to a place where you're saying, I don't want to do that anymore. That is exhausting. And that creates binging and that creates emotional eating. And so, you know, but, but the thing about our, our culture is that 
we do really, you know, like say any of these people in this creative world that you work in, you know, they're eating bad, they feel bad. The first thing they're going to do is go on a diet, right? Because that's what, that's what we're taught. Even when it comes to healthy eating, I mean, there's so many articles out there now around how clean eating is really just another diet and how the wellness, I think it was New York Times wrote up about, or the or Harvard Business, one of those big papers wrote about how the wellness industry is just like a, you know, it's like a guise for the diet industry, right? And so it is a huge part of our culture. And most people don't know how to be with food in a way where it's not so black and white, either they're eating completely 100% crappy, and then they have to go on a diet, or they're teetering between both, which is where you've been for a long time, right? And so you, you would eat really, really well all week long, and then go into these weekends of binges, right? And, and that's because mostly the mindset and, and the belief system around dieting of like, I got to be good all week, I got to eat well all week, I got to, and then it almost sets you up for that kind of self-sabotage and failure on the weekends where you just feel like, oh my God, now I got to start over again on Monday. And it's this vicious cycle. And so as human beings, you know, we, we want that convenience, we want that quick fix, we want results right now. You know, it's hard for us to be patient and wait for things and do the work. We don't, a lot of us just don't want to do the work that it takes to really change our relationship with food and change the way we're relating to food. Well, one of the things that you mentioned, and I didn't uh, see the exact link to the study, but it was somewhere around 1%. And that's not a typo. That's not a misspeak. 1% of diets actually succeed. Yeah. So that means that roughly 99-ish percent of them fail. So to me, that seems fairly definitive. Yes. And, and it's a, you know, whatever $70 billion industry, right? And so that just goes to show, again, human nature always wanting kind of that quick fix. And I think also part of it is that so many of us are confused, right? Because there are, there are so many different ways of eating out there. It's like, oh, paleo and keto and intermittent fasting, all those things you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. And so people get confused. They don't understand, well, how should I be eating? You know, are carbs the devil or are carbs good? Is fat the devil or is fat good? And so we're all confused. And I think a lot of us want to be healthy, but we get so confused by all the conflicting messages. And so what I really teach people is like, hey, look, let's find the way of eating that works for you so that you can still have the cupcake here and there and really feel good about it and enjoy it. And it's not going to set you over the edge into a binge, but you're, you know that you can trust yourself around food. It's really about being able to choose and trust yourself versus needing to control everything. Well, one thing I can tell people as an aside that if we're talking specifically about the cupcake, once <laughs> they've had some of your recipes for these healthier dessert options, they're never going to want that crap again because, oh my God, your recipes are so good. <laughs> like, though, you. You, you'd send me a recipe for something that you called donut holes. Yes. Um, and I'm like, yeah, we're at a donut hole, whatever. Like you and you and your vegan hippie people think you're making your fancy desserts <laughs> and they taste so good with their hemp seeds. And then I made it and I'm like, oh my God, this is so flipping good. And then I gave, <laughs> by the way, I gave it to my kids and they said, oh my God, this is a donut hole. I'm like, score. Oh, yeah. They loved it, right? And usually if I make these healthier energy bars with like chia seeds or raw cacao, they're like, they kind of make that kid face and like, no, no, thank you. I don't want anymore. And I like them. But the donut holes are like, oh my God, these are so good. So it is so that, but that's just a, a total tangent. Um, I think where I want to start then is helping people understand how do I unravel a decade's worth or a lifetime's worth of getting these messages? Because the what I've realized throughout my journey uh, personally, but also doing the podcast, doing the website, is that whenever I talk about most things, whether it's better sleep, whether it's exercise, it's productivity, it's creativity, people really embrace what I have to say. As soon as I talk about nutrition, oh my God, do the trolls come out. Just the haters and the negativity because it's not just about the food. It's not about the information or the research. People see food as a religion and they're so emotionally attached to their choices that the, the diet's the easy way to say, well, I'm doing this. And if it doesn't work, it must be the program and not me, right? Because what, I, what I've said over and over and over is that sensible long-term lifestyle change doesn't make billions of dollars right? It's the doing something for 90 days that failed. So it must be the program and not me. Therefore, I'm going to try another one. So how do we start to unwire all of this, uh, this programming that we've gotten our entire life? Yeah. Ooh, that's a big, that's a big one. And, and, you know, so much of the dieting world is linked up to shame and failure, right? So we feel like a failure and then we feel ashamed. And then 
people are gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, and they get in these vicious cycles. And then you just have, end up feeling so bad about yourself that you just, a lot of people give up hope. And when they start working with me, they're, they're really hopeless. They've tried everything. And, you know, so back to your question, which was, how do we start to unravel? Part of it is letting go of everything you think you know about food, like starting to stop, like stop following all the diet people, all the nutrition people and start to hone in on what's the way of eating that feels good for me, that is sustainable for my life, right? So really starting to hone in. And you and I have been touching on that quite a bit in our last couple sessions around your philosophy with food and, and what you want that to be. And I think as we start to get all of the reasons why you use food as a crutch out of the way, your philosophy will surface more and more. And so we have to really look at, you know, our behaviors with food, what the drivers are. You know, if we're dieting and emotionally eating, we're using food as something other than nourishment. And so we want to start to really get honest about that and look at what are the ways I'm using food other than fuel and nourishment? right? That's a start where we can just, we, we can look at, you know, our behaviors with food and what drives the behavior. Now, a lot of it is habitual. It's things we've been doing year after year after year. And if you come home every night at eight o'clock and you or after dinner and you sit down on the couch with a bowl of popcorn and that feels good for you. And it's like zinging your brain, you're getting the dopamine. You're going to want to do that every night and it's going to turn into a habit. And, you know, and our brain is always going to orient toward what's comfortable for us. And that's why it's so hard for people to break habits, but to really start to unravel this kind of diet mindset, you got to really turn it on its head and start to ask some deeper questions around what, how do I want to eat? What are the things that I enjoy? What are the things that I can't live without that maybe I don't let myself have right now because I think they're bad or I feel guilty around, right? So looking at all of the fear-based behaviors, what's driving the behaviors and just really starting to get honest. And then like, filtering out all the garbage that's around you, you know, like not jumping on board with the next thing. It's like, find the support you need and figure out what feels right for you. Cause we all know on an intuitive level, our bodies know what they like and what they don't like. Like our body never lies and it's always talking to us. And so we have to start to listen. <laughs> and that's one of the places we can really start to change our relationship with food as well. Right. And I think that the key word here for talking about listening is awareness, right? And anything that I teach, it doesn't matter if it's diet or fitness or health or productivity or career, whatever it is, you can't make any changes and move forwards until you're aware of your current behaviors and where you are, right? Um, and that, that's, a, that's a really big and difficult step. And for me, the, the real awareness was I always kind of knew in the back of my head, yeah, I can probably make better choices, but I'm doing pretty well. And I would have that idea reinforced because in the world of film and post-production, I'm definitely one of the healthier, trimmer, fitter people. And I put myself in the, the position of helping others get that way. But then once I kind of put the microscope on myself and I said, all right, I'm going to set this really, really difficult goal of training to be on American Ninja Warrior. And I'm going to seek out the best mentor I could possibly ever find, who is my kind of digital mentor via the television in my living room for years, Tony Horton. I'm like, well, let's see if I can go to the next level, pun intended, and see if I can actually get him to be a real life mentor. And I was able to make that happen. But then the microscope was on me because then he started to really ask me my behaviors. And he's like, well, listen, you've been coming here for a while. You don't seem to be losing a lot of weight. You're not getting much trimmer. And it wasn't about judgment. It was about him understanding that my goal was to become lighter because being lighter makes me better at the sport. So the, the catalyst was, he said, I want you to start taking pictures of what you're eating and texting it to me. And that was terrifying. And he wasn't saying you have to eat this way, you have to eat that way. There was no judgment. But the accountability was just this hyper awareness of, oh my God, I'm sending all of the food I'm putting into my mouth to Tony freaking Horton. This is terrifying. <laughs> and all of a sudden it made me realize, well, I, I'm going to grab, oh wait, I can't grab for the Oreos habitually because I can't send Tony Horton a picture of cookies, which I did by the way once. And he was not happy with me, but that's a whole nother conversation. But it started making me realize, wow, every time I go to make myself lunch, I go to grab a few Oreos. And wow, every time that I'm kind of 
decompressing after work, I sit on the couch and that was me with a bowl of popcorn or with a box of Girl Scout cookies. Like I'm just going there. Like I'm all of it's coming out in this call. So anybody that thinks I'm like this super healthy eater, like, oh my God, are you going to have a different picture of me by the end of this? We're shining the light. <laughs> oh yes. And I'm being very honest about this. And it's not because I lie about it. People assume these things about me. I've never said I'm an incredibly healthy eater. They just assume it based on my image, which is wrong. Because then they put you on a pedestal. It's like, oh no, I struggle with everything you do. So it might have been, all right, well, I'm really amped up and stressed out. And at the end of the day, the only way to get my brain to slow down is half a box of Girl Scout cookies. So I've done that on a regular basis. But then it was also being aware of the fact, oh, wow, not only do I have this weird habit where every time somebody leaves food on a plate, I have to eat it, but I'm even doing it when it's been sitting on the counter for hours I mean, that's like downright embarrassing, but that was one of my habits as well. I can't let the food go to waste. So that was another thing I became aware of. And then another one was this all or nothing mentality. Well, from Saturday evening at 7 p.m. until Friday afternoon at 4.30 p.m., I am the picture of perfection. I eat all healthy foods. I label them as healthy. I'm not eating quote unquote bad foods. But 4.30 p.m., and this has been my script since, I don't know, probably most of my life. Well, actually, it wouldn't have been when I was younger because I never ate anything healthy when I was younger. <laughs> um, but maybe mid to late 20s when I started to shift my diet, my script has been 4.30 p.m. on Friday, all bets are off. Right. And I realized that these were things that I had just intrinsically written as these new scripts in my head. I'm like, where did all of this come from? So that's what you and I have really started to dive into is not, well, how many macros am I eating per day? And I need a better system for counting my calories, which by the way, I've done all of that. And I want to point out to people that are saying, oh, well, calories is just math. It's energy in, it's energy out and macros. And guess what? All of that works short term. Short term. The yeah. problem is that, and this is, if we were to talk about the number one most fundamental rule or philosophy of anything for me, but especially eating, it has to work for me long term. So if somebody says, hey, you need to do this and you're going to lose 10 pounds, I probably will. But then I'm going to gain 13 of it back eventually. I'm not willing to do that. It's so much harder to make these behaviors stick long term, but I love a challenge. So really, how do we help people become more aware of some of these behaviors that I've become so aware of? Yeah. Well, I think, I think you know, we all have these blind spots, right? I mean, I know you coach people, I coach people, and it's very clear that we have kind of these self-saboteurs, these blind spots that, that continue to keep us stuck. And so I, I found in my journey that getting support was so key in really overcoming my issues with food because, you know, as much as I knew and as much as I was on the personal growth path, it was like this one big thing with food because we need food to survive and we can't ever stop eating. Like if you're an alcoholic, you stop drinking. You don't need to drink to live. But with food, it's like you can't ever stop eating. You have to eat to survive, right? And I'm not saying that giving up drinking is easy, but you cannot ever give up eating. And so it makes it much more challenging for people to really to come into kind of that, that more gray area with food because like you know, like we're talking about, you know, people tend to use food in so many ways other than nourishment and fuel. You know, we have like what you're saying, these emotional attachments to food. We use food as a crutch. We use food for stress relief. We use food for comfort. You know, I spent years emotional eating every night sitting on the couch because I was lonely and I didn't want to face that. I would have rather, you know, drowned my sorrows in anything I could eat that wasn't nailed down <laughs> versus facing the real true harsh truths that I felt lonely, you know, and nobody knew this was going on. I mean, even Tony, I was working with Tony at the time and he didn't know what was going on, but, but over the course of time, I'm putting on weight and I was, you know, weighing 30 extra pounds than I am now. And, you know, I, I ended up getting that weight off through doing this work of really bringing shifting my relationship with food and really looking at the habits and behaviors that were driving me, the places I was using food, you know, not for nourishment, but out of comfort, out of soothing, you know, all the ways that we use food as a crutch, you know, and I had to really get support so that I could see my blind spots and also face my loneliness. And it might not be, you know, when we have boredom, when we have all of these things that we use food for, it might not be loneliness, but it could be something else that someone is facing that they don't want to deal with. You know, it could be, 
that, you know, their relationship sucks, or it could be that they don't like their job, or it could be that they're having problems with their kids. I mean, who knows? There's a whole gamut of things, but a lot of times, you know, we, we get into these patterns and then we don't really want to face the hard stuff. And, and that's why I was saying earlier, it's so much about getting honest with what's going on and what you're doing and how you're using food. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a tilt Matt. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Well, and that was one of the things that I really thought about. And I remember maybe it wasn't when I was talking to you and we were doing the first documentary interview, but at some point I remember relatively recently starting to dive a little bit deeper into this specific philosophy of eating rather than, well, the macros are hard or the calories are hard or vegan or paleo or whatever it doesn't seem to be working. What's next? I was like, what if I went more the mindful eating approach and kind of the psychological approach? I'm like, oh yeah, so, so these other people are, you know, they're emotional eating, but that's not me. Right. Like for, for me, it was a matter of, oh, well, I think it's just because I'm stressed out. So I was willing to, uh, to accept that I was stress eating as a matter of, well, I'm working a really long day. And I love that you brought up, by the way, the idea of that if you're somebody that's like a foodaholic, you can't stop eating, right? Alcoholics, they can stop drinking. And I've always used that analogy for work. As a recovering workaholic, I can't say, sorry, I am now abstaining from work because I'm a workaholic. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, right? And right. food's the same thing. But I kept thinking to myself, well, as a recovering workaholic, when I'm really trying to slow myself down, when I feel like, you know what, it's 8 p.m., I want to jump back in for another three hours. Nope, I need to calm myself down and I have to go to bed at a decent hour. Therefore, food becomes the crutch. But it wasn't until I started working with you, I'm like, oh my God, I am a horrible emotional eater. It's all about all these messy emotions. But the thing that got me there, and this was such a key moment, was when you're ready to grab whatever it is, don't allow yourself to, and just be aware of what you're feeling and what you're thinking about. And holy shit, is that not a fun process? Oh, yeah. And you know, it's going to be uncomfortable at first, but it gets easier. And you've really moved through stuff so quickly, you know, in, in terms of the awareness and then the action, you know, and that's really where the change happens is when, because the awareness is, yes, it is number one, the first step, the action is the next step. And it's doing, you know, it's not allowing yourself to do the same old thing that you always do and then getting pissed about it, right? Getting pissed at yourself. It's like, saying to yourself, wait a minute, let me pause here. Let me really look at the choice I'm going to make. Is this the best choice I can make? Is this choice making my life better? You know, am I honoring myself right now? Or am I just going along with what I always do and, and numbing out and checking out and just going on autopilot, you know? 
because there's always that higher part of us that's that's aware, right? That that knows what we're doing and that has dominion over those those other thoughts when we go for the Oreos or whatever at eight o'clock at night, you know? There's that higher part of us, but so many of us are not tapped into that because we're rushing or we're just looking to get the, again, the quick fix. It comes back to, let me change my state as quickly as I can. I'm going to use food to do that. You know what I mean? So we're, we're looking to food to change our state versus what can I do to actually change my state, whether it's take a walk around the block or sit down and breathe or do a meditation or do, write in my journal or something that's more connected and more internal versus kind of the external, which is a, where a lot of us will always go. Well, and a perfect example of this, which you alluded to a little bit that I want to dive even deeper into with my own specific journey was we had kind of broken down here all of the, the various areas where I'm having challenges. And one of the analogies that I used with you is the idea of a sinking ship, right? Yes. So you're taking on water from multiple places. Well, I I want to figure out what are the small leaks? What are the biggest leaks? I'm like, let's work on this one first and that one next and that one next. So I really compartmentalized. So it wasn't, holy crap, I have to change my whole diet this week. It was the only thing I care about right now is why do I feel the need to snack incessantly after 8 p.m. when I'm unwinding? So that's what we hit first. And like you said, we determined, well, what is the state that I'm looking to get into? And it was relaxation because I was so mentally amped up and my brain was going in circles. And you were like, well, before you want to eat something, take a walk around the block. And I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) That's going to work. I'm not going to tell her that, but yeah, whatever. Like just taking a walk is going to undo years of me snacking in front of the TV. Yeah, you're good. And then like five days later, I'm like, holy shit, she's right. Like all I wanted to do was chill out. And at this point, that's kind of a non-habit for me. And it didn't take months and it didn't take me abstaining or me gritting my teeth and saying, oh, God, I summon the willpower. It's like, oh, I just wanted to be more relaxed. So what are alternate ways to reach that state? And now maybe once every two weeks, I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll have something while I'm watching TV. But I don't feel that need. Whereas before we started working together, it was a matter of, all right, I'm not going to snack when I watch TV. I'm not going to snack when I watch TV. So I'm watching television. And as I'm watching it, all I'm thinking is, oh, there are Oreos in the cabinet and there's this in the refrigerator. I'm not going to eat it. And then I was literally mentally going through everything I wanted to eat at that moment. So for me, the transformation, and this is so, so key. It wasn't that if somebody on the outside was observing and seeing me thinking, oh, well, he's not eating the food. It was the reasons that I wasn't eating it. Before, it was because I was gritting my teeth and saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And then all of a sudden it became, I don't even want it. And that wasn't even that hard. No, right? I know. It was like, know. oh, that makes so much more sense. Duh. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean about you've you you move really quickly through things and you know, like the the leftovers on the plate, right? And I think I said one thing, like, do you want your body to be the garbage can or you want to put the food in the garbage can where it belongs, right? And you're like, oh, zing, right? Like that was like an instant mindset shift. That took like a day to overcome. And now it's just absurd when I think about it. I know. I know. And I have another client right now who's, she's got a massive diet Coke addiction and we've been talking about it and we've, I've been like, okay, alternate seltzer water with diet Coke. You know, let's try that. Right. Even though that's not the best approach, let's try it. But I don't want to take it away from her because that's just going to make her crave it more. And so we had a session. So we tried this for like a week and a half. We had a session two days ago and she goes, I'm done with the diet Coke. And I said, what? And she goes, oh yeah. One day it just, I walked in, I grabbed it out of the cooler. I got my ice. I filled up the glass. I took a sip and I'm like, I don't want this ever again. Like that was her, her mind. She just made it up and she hasn't, she doesn't feel the pull toward it. She toward it. She walks past the cooler and she would drink six to seven a day instead of water. That was like, right, all day long, Diet Coke. And she just made up her mind and it hasn't had a pull on her since then. Yeah, but it's it's Diet Coke though. That's the healthy version, right? That we're finding to drink the diet ones. (laughs) That's what what everybody tells me. They're like, well, I know that soda's bad, but I drink diet. I just just silently shake my head. I'd rather see people drink the real thing over the diet. That's what I say. I'm like, if you're going to drink it, just drink it. Because the shit that they put in there to make it zero calories is so much worse for you than the sugar. So bad. Yes. Yeah. Don't get me started on that. That, Literally, it's going to take me five minutes to bring in a whole nother soapbox in my office. And I just don't have the time to switch my soapboxes. Um, So we're going to transition a little bit. Um, So the next thing that I want to talk about, and this goes back to the awareness, and this was the moment 
when I said, I don't care what it takes, you and I working together. And you said this during your presentation. You talked about the difference between our need or our desire to eat creamy foods versus crunchy foods. And that's where I was like, oh my God, yes. So let's talk about that more because this is quite possibly one of the largest insights I've ever heard about food, period. So when we when we orient toward more creamy, sweet, gooey type foods, that's when we're really looking for soothing and comfort. So if you're someone who has those kind of cravings often and you orient more towards sweets and people will always call it an addiction. And, you know, I say it's an addiction to the feeling you get from the food, right? Because you get the dopamine release. And so if you're orienting towards sweeter, creamier foods, it's because you're really wanting soothing and comfort. And that was really my thing, right? Because I'm lonely and I'm wanting soothing and comfort. Now, if you're orienting towards crunchy foods like chips and, you know, all that type of stuff, like even carrot sticks and celery and on some level will do this. But if you're orienting towards those, it's stress relief, right? It's like, oh, I have energy. I want to get out energy. And for you, it was like, the chips or the crunchy cookies, or, you know, like even though cookies are sweet, they have that kind of crunch to them. So you were orienting toward a lot of those stress relieving foods. So the more crunchy foods, if you think about it, like we're getting that we're crunching with our jaw, we're getting the energy out. And so it's a way we're trying to dissipate that stress in our bodies. So, you know, that's such a, such a powerful way to look at how we use food and what we use it for emotionally. And that was the biggest moment for me when I realized oh, I am an emotional eater because <laughs> it, it was really all about, no, I'm just, I'm super stressed out. I'm very type A, I'm an overachiever. And at the end of the night, I just need to chill out. That was my yeah. script. That's yeah. all I was willing to allow myself to believe. But then when you said crunchy versus salty, I'm like, oh, that makes total sense because during the week it is popcorn or it's something like I can just grind my jaw into it. And it, it needs to be something small and simple that I can pop over and over and over because that helps relieve stress. And one of the strategies that I tried was blueberries and raspberries. I'm like, this isn't working. I, I keep popping it, but it wasn't giving me the change of state, right? But then all of a sudden it was, oh, so then why am I having the pint of ice cream on the weekends? That doesn't really fit my script anymore. So maybe something else is going on. Because one of the things that I realized is that I have no problem talking about the 80-20 rule, right? This has become very common where it's like 80% of the time I'm going to eat well, 20% of the time I'm going to enjoy myself. The problem was that the 20% wasn't enjoying myself. It was punishing myself with so much bad stuff in a short period of time. And an example would be that there's a, an ice cream store uh, that's, I don't know, maybe five, 10 minutes from me in Woodland Hills. Anybody that's in the area, by the way, it's called Cup and Cone. And it is the best ice cream anywhere on the planet Earth, 100% homemade made that day. So this place opened up like a year and a half ago and it's like your eyes roll back and turn into pinwheels good. It, and I see it with anybody that comes in there. It's the same experience. Hi, I'd like to sample this. Oh my God, this is the best thing ever, right? So my kids love it too. So I would take them on the weekends and we would get a scoop each and we'd enjoy it. And that was a really great emotional moment. Bonding with my kids over ice cream. I felt no guilt over that, right? right. But then I would get an extra pint and I would eat that on a Sunday night, which had no connection to anybody else in my family. Once I heard you say crunchy versus salty, I'm like, okay, there's something else going on here because I couldn't stop doing that. And I didn't understand why, but it was again, digging into the awareness of where this coming from. And I, I won't go too deep into any of that in this, uh, this specific call, but there were a lot of emotional issues that were causing that that had nothing to do with stress relief. So that's why this crunchy versus salty thing, especially for those who are in my industry that deal so much with long hours and tight deadlines and being stuck in a small dark room with no sunshine for 18 hours a day, that completely screws up all of your hormones, your ghrelin, your leptin. You don't even know which way is up as far as do I actually feel hungry? Am I starving? Am I craving? So just the work environment itself is not conducive to eating well. Once you add the emotional component and the stress component, it's just this big giant ball of yarn of 20 different colors and you've got no idea where to start. Yeah, and you know, that's tricky. I mean, the, the entertainment industry is really, really challenging. I used to work in it as well. And it's not, you're like you're saying, it's not conducive to really living a completely healthy lifestyle and you have to work harder at it, you know? And I remember when I worked in production, I would bring, I worked for a production company. We made TV commercials and I would bring my lunch every day and I would, you know, and there was always crap laying around. And I really just had to say, you know, I'm honoring myself. That's not going to serve me if I just can, you know, like every time I walk in the kitchen, grab a handful of this or a handful of that, you know, 
And people used to say, you're so disciplined, you're so disciplined. And I was like, well, it's just a matter of wanting to honor my body, right? Like really honoring my body as this, as this vessel and this vehicle that I want to feel good, right? Because we only have one body. And if we're not feeling good in it, that just makes life a whole lot harder. I think. Well, not only that, and I think that the the addendum to this for me specifically, because I've I've gone through all of this as well, but um, it wasn't just about I was honoring my body, but it was I was honoring my ability to be really good at my job. So again, that's why it was this all or nothing approach, because from 7 p.m. on Sunday until 4 p.m. on Friday, I had to be on point. I did not want to deal with brain fog. I wanted to be super focused. I wanted to be energetic. But my script was, as long as I don't have to be useful creatively, I don't need to care about my diet. And I realized, and I think this maybe happened a year or two ago, that I was such a grumpy, irritable ass on Saturdays. Like, why does this always happen? I'm like, oh, it's because I always eat my shittiest meal of the week Friday night because all bets are off. And I'm done being creative and being good at my job. And guess who's paying the price for that? Only the three most important people in my entire life for all of the quality time they get with me, I need to take a nap. I'm grumpy. I'm tired. And that was because of the food choices that I was making, not based on my specific dietary protocol, but because of the scripts that were going through my head about my behaviors and my rules, and my philosophy about how I eat. Yeah, and it's it can be tricky. And I think that you know, so many of us will you know, just treat our bodies like, you know, Shonda Rhimes, who's a, she's a writer for TV. She writes Grey's Anatomy and a couple other TV shows, but she was like, I'm such a creative person. She said, my body was really just the thing that carried around my brain, right? Like she didn't care. And she ended up, you know, weighing 350 pounds because she's in this industry where it's just eating crappy food all the time, you know, and she, she went on to lose a hundred pounds over a year. And she did that by, not by dieting, but by eating whatever she craved. And so she would allow herself to eat what she craved, but only to the point where she was satisfied. And so if that meant I want a brownie, I'm going to eat a brownie. But what that did was it shifted her mindset from if I have the brownie, I'm bad, right? And then, well, I had one, so I messed everything up. So I might as well just keep eating them. And that's where we go into that kind of black and white thinking. And through honoring her cravings, she ended up losing 100 pounds without dieting, without restricting herself, but just by eating the food she craved and listening to her body. So I, I find that really astounding and, and incredible. And that's so much of you know, the work that I do and the work that you and I have been doing together. It's like really honoring our bodies in a different way versus from this really restrictive, crazy mindset, which emotionally and mentally is not healthy for us, you know, because our health is holistic. It comes from mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. It's, it's all of it. We can't just compartmentalize. You know, We need to be paying attention to all parts of ourselves. Well, and I think that uh, going back to this idea of the Hollywood culture specifically, I can't imagine a lot of cultures where it's going to be a lot harder to embrace this idea. Because what I realized is not only are all of these things difficult for your own personal journey, but when you work around other people, it's almost like an affront, Yeah. right? You become the outlier. And the joke that I made several years ago when I started the podcast is, all right, fine. After 10 years, I'm coming out of the health closet. <laughs> yes, I admit it. I eat healthy foods. But for years, I would go through this process where they would hand around the menus every single night to all the people because we all, it's what I call the food handcuffs, right? Oh, we're going to feed you, but you can't go out. You're stuck in your office for 16 hours a day, but you get free meals, right? And I've told people, well, if you do the math, they're actually taking money from you because if you were not getting paid that hourly wage, but you got to get out and you had more productivity and blah, blah, blah. Like there's a whole, whole kind of, you know, vicious versus a virtuous cycle to actually stepping away and being more productive and going home sooner. But I'm, I won't go into all of that because once again, that's a different soapbox in a different closet. Um, but the idea is that I would say, well, I really kind of want to get the ahi tuna salad, but everybody else is getting the burgers and the fried chicken and man, that grilled cheese and tomato soup. All right, fine. Just this time, you know, I'll go with the crowd because I just don't have the energy to make the better choice. And more importantly, I don't have the energy to defend it when people want to make fun of me for being the guy that orders oh, yeah. the salad. Yes. Right. And it took years to overcome that. And I have so many people that have come to me now, either in person, via social media, via email, saying, thank you so much for pointing this out because now I can order a salad and not feel embarrassed about it. Because part of our culture, this idea that we have to be always getting the pizza and the beer is changing 
And it's because we're just acknowledging the fact that not all of us want to eat shit all day, every single day. That's right. And a lot of us live also in that reward mindset too, of just like, I deserve this. I deserve, right? I need a treat. I deserve it. And we reward ourselves with food. And I always say, number one, we're not a dog. Dogs get rewards because they sit and speak and do all that stuff. And and also like, is that all you deserve, right? Is that is that really all you deserve is to feel like crap and eat crap food, you know, that makes you feel like crap. So I think it's, we have to start to really approach this from such a different place, you know? And, you know, I love what you're saying about this, about kind of being the out, outlier and, and I kind of, was always that way too, because I was such a hardcore vegan for so long. And I had to get really comfortable with always knowing that people were going to make comments. And But but also it, alongside that, I got to educate a lot of people. And I got to teach a lot of people about eating well and eating healthy and honoring your body and all that. And so sometimes we do have to, you know, stray away from the norm in order to make a difference and an impact, you know, and and it can be uncomfortable to be in that space, you know? So I think it's, it sounds like you navigated it really well and, and there, it, it can be easy to fall back into, well, I'll just do what everyone else is doing, you know? <laughs> and then we're not honoring ourselves. We're really going against the grain in terms of what we want for ourselves. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. What's funny is that I've now seen the exact opposite thing that's happening where rather than me trying to conform to everybody else's standards, when people are working with me or around me in a social setting, and they'll see me like take a small dessert, they're like, Oh, my God, I would have been so embarrassed to grab that in front of you. <laughs> right? I, I, I don't want to eat that in front of Zach. Like, that's embarrassing. I'm like, dude, you have no idea how I eat at home. You shouldn't be embarrassed at all, which is part of the reason I wanted to do this show. But the, the script flips so far to the other direction that everybody that works around me is embarrassed to make poor choices as opposed to me feeling embarrassed to make the healthy choices. And that's not the effect that I want either. I want to make it very clear that I'm not trying to impart what I'm doing and saying to other people, you're wrong and I'm right. It's just comfortable doing it my way, but I find that that inspires others to say, you know what, screw it. I don't need pizza again. Let me try getting something a little bit healthier. And then they start making those healthier choices. But that was actually another one of those moments. And I think that we had talked about this briefly um, in one of our sessions, but I went to a memorial service two or three months ago where I was around all, like it was a memorial service for a real big name in my industry. His name is Norman Holland. And most of the people that are listening will know who that is. But I was just, I was not in a very good place and neither was anybody else. Cause this wasn't like, oh, he lived his life and it was great. And he was older and you know, it was his time. It was nothing like that. He was taken far short of his time. We were all very shocked and they had a lot of mini desserts. So I just started to go to town and that's where people started to say, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this. I felt like it too. But now that you're doing it, I'll grab one. But what it made me also think about was, all right, well, if I can do this in public now and people are responding this way, how come it's so much easier for me to say, you know what, I'm going to pass on this and I'm going to make the healthier choice when I'm around people. But I couldn't do that when I was by myself. 
I realized I'm making all of these poor choices when I'm not around others because I have my identity tied up publicly, always making the healthy choice. And I'm like, if I can't do this by myself, then what's the point? Right. Yeah. And like I shared about me, right? I'm an emotional eater and here I am, you know, a nutritionist and a vegan chef and cooking for Tony Horton and traveling with him and talking about nutrition. But I have this dirty little secret that I'm at home on the couch emotionally eating every night, right? So uh, yeah, at some point, I think we have to we have to out ourselves, we have to get honest, and we have to stop identifying with, you know, I identified with being a vegan for so long and being so healthy. And people would do the same thing around me, like, Oh, my God, don't look at what's on my plate, you know, they they would get they would feel uncomfortable or, or even at like Tony's events, like people would get so uncomfortable you know, knowing that he's going to see what they're eating or what's on their plate, right? And and it's sad to feel that way because food judgment is what creates so much shame. And it's like, we we feel like if we're eating bad food, we're a bad person. And it has nothing to do with that. But that's what diet culture tells us, right? That's what That's what we've been programmed to learn. It's like, oh, if you eat bad food, that must mean you're a bad person or you're making bad choices. So you know, so it's, it just, the messages get so mixed up. And that's why I'm just such a big fan of people finding, being able to live in the gray, being able to enjoy the foods they love, being able to listen to their bodies, know when enough is enough and, and, you know, getting pleasure from food in a way that feels satisfying, but not overwhelming or where we have to then beat ourselves up about it and judge ourselves around it. And that's pretty much where I am right now. And I think you may have pointed out it's recently as last week where you said, I don't know if you even are aware of this, but you keep saying healthy or unhealthy. Yes. And so that's where I am right now is what are the labels that I'm putting on food where it used to be, well, I'm cheating or I'm not cheating. Yes. This is bad. This is good. And now it's, you know, transition to healthy or unhealthy. But it's it can be really difficult to navigate that because one person's unhealthy is another person's healthy, right? So me saying, well, this 100% organic, 100% grass-fed beef, that's healthy. And another person is like, are you freaking crazy? Have you not read all the studies about red meat and cancer? It's just like your head wants to explode. right? But if you can make it about this intuition... And for me, like we've talked about the philosophy of food, what, and, and I'm, we're trying to kind of create more of the specifics. And if I were to create a manifesto of what is really my philosophy, I don't have it yet and I'm working on it. But I think the core of it is, and this is very, very simple. I eat when I'm hungry and I don't when I'm full. Yes. That's it. That's right. Great. But getting to that is not a simple process. Yeah. That's, but that's a fantastic starting point. Right. And then all the other stuff, like if you can really hone in on that, that's like such a powerful starting point. You know what I mean? Because that means you're really listening to and honoring your body up front, which is exactly how Shonda Rhimes lost a hundred pounds. I'm going to honor my cravings. I'm going to stop when I'm full, not eat more. You know what I mean? And so it's, yeah, I mean, there's so many different approaches, but I think that approach really allows us to not live in this space of black and white where there's so much room for messing up or errors, right? And then we just feel bad about it. And then we're constantly going through that cycle of starting over or, uh, oh, it's Monday, I'll start on Monday, or I'm going to start tomorrow, or that's it, I'm giving up sugar for the next 20 days, like whatever it is, we have all these kind of, we go into these extremes, you know? And so like, how can we start to orient to food in such a different way where we don't have to be so extreme and where we can really honor ourselves and listen to our hunger, stop when we're full and still enjoy the foods we love, you know? Yeah. And uh, so far, we've really talked about all these different philosophies, viewpoints, being aware and all of this, I think is really fantastic foundation to this conversation. But I always want to make sure that I have people walk away with some form of an action step or like, oh, this is where I can get started. And as far as I'm concerned, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like mindfulness yeah. around your eating is really, that has been the biggest first step for me. And again, it's like, cue eye roll. We're going to talk about <laughs> mindful eating now. Okay. Um, right. So I'm, don't worry. I know my audience because um, I was that person. Um, but what I want to do is walk through a practical exercise that I did. And then maybe you can give us a few more practical steps to just be a little bit more mindful of what we eat. And that one of the biggest transformational exercises that I did along this idea of cravings and eating when you're satiated is for me, it's always about the dessert. I very rarely have like a balls to the wall cheap meal. I actually don't even really enjoy a big plate of pasta or pizza. It's not really my thing. My Achilles heel is desserts. 
So it's always where I go overboard is with the sugar and the dessert. So maybe it was a month or two ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, but I went out on a Friday afternoon. Um, I got, I think it was like either a, a athletic stretch appointment or chiropractor or whatever it was. And I had started the habit of grabbing uh, an early dinner afterwards to kind of start the weekend. So I got a really healthy organic salad. It had some ahi tuna. And then I saw this big giant chocolate peanut butter like cupcake thing. It was huge. It's like the size of a human head. It was ridiculous, right? And I'm like, you know what? I want that. But here's my rule. I'm only going to eat it as long as every bite, my response is, oh my God, is this amazing? So I just sat there. I didn't have my phone in front of me. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was just sitting there by myself, wasn't talking to anybody. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to see how far I get. And I started eating it. And probably the first half of it, it was the pinwheels with the eyes, right? Oh my God, this is unbelievable. But then all of a sudden, because I was eating slower and I was being mindful, I was like, okay, now I'm starting to kind of taste the sugar and the flour and I'm getting a little jittery and anxious from the sugar rush. And I don't actually feel that good. Let me try a couple more bites. And then it got to the point where I had maybe, I don't know, five or six bites left. And I said, I don't want any more of this. So this was a combination of my two biggest issues, one of which was desserts, and two was I don't waste anything. So it was an, I had to overcome both of them simultaneously, but when I got to the point of I kind of don't want another bite, that was a huge shift for me. Just that alone, that one exercise was like, oh my God, I don't need the whole cupcake, and I'm only going to eat it as long as it is, oh my God, amazing, once it just becomes this rote behavior of, well, I have to finish it because I spent the money on it, right? Right. And everything changed. So how can we help people develop this kind of awareness and mindfulness around some of their eating choices? Yeah. I mean, I think number one, just it, it's so important to, I, I always tell people to start with one meal, right? So just one meal, sit without any distraction. And this is hard for people, especially in the entertainment industry, because we're always in front of our computers. And, you know, I work from home and I used to always eat in front of my computer. And so it's like, can you step away, go sit outside somewhere or sit somewhere away from your desk, just really slow down and enjoy your meal. And this doesn't take a long time. People are like, I don't have time to do that, you know, but it takes literally 10 to 15 minutes to mindfully eat a meal right? Especially at lunchtime. And so I always just say, you know, really practice slowing down and paying attention to your hunger and your fullness, you know? And, and for me, my body, you know, it's, it tells me like the first time I, when I'm eating, the first time I kind of take a bigger breath where I'm like, Oh, I'm getting kind of full. That's usually my first signal. And I pay attention to that. And I think a lot of people do it, but don't know they're doing that where they take like a bigger breath. They're looking to make more space in their body. And so that could be something to really pay attention to is just slowing down, chewing your food, really enjoying the experience of it, paying attention to how your body feels, right? Because I feel like so many of us just eat because it's on the plate. We finish like you had that, right? I have to finish what's on the plate. I can't waste food. And, and we have these habits and we have these mindsets. And so can we slow down and listen to our bodies and really tune in and, you know, pay attention to, oh, I'm feeling kind of satisfied right now. And like what you did with the cupcake, like, oh, this isn't that great anymore. Like I'm done. I can leave five bites on the, on the plate, you know, because the truth is, is like, especially with sweets after the third bite, those pleasure centers in our brain are done. Like they're, they're numbed out. They, we don't even feel that anymore. Then it's more coming from an emotional place of like, Ooh, whoa, this is like giving me a, a boost or a hit or something. Yes. You're just eating more and more love and filling the yeah. sadness void. Right. Exactly. Uh, well, the one thing you don't understand though, Missy, is that I just don't have time to take lunch breaks. <laughs> You've not seen my schedule. You don't know my delivery calendar. I just can't do it. It can't be done. You have no idea how many times people tell me that. And the first thing I tell them is that if you can't step away to eat your lunch from somewhere other than behind your computer, you have some massive issues with time management and productivity and boundaries. <laughs> and boundaries, exactly. So what I, when people come to me the very beginning of the journey, there's always two things that I tell them that need to become absolutes in their life. Number one, you have to take a minimum of a 15-minute walk away from your computer outside during the day. I mean, that's bare minimum. It should be more than that, but bare minimum, get away for 15 minutes and take a walk. And number two, never eat in front of your computer again. And everybody's like, oh, but you don't get it. I can't do that. My schedule is just too busy. No, you're just not good enough at prioritizing your time yet. Yeah. 
I think over the, the course of the last three or four seasons of TV, maybe one meal has been in front of the computer and nobody's going to say, yeah, but you don't get it. You're not working on big shows or high profile shows. Yeah, I kind of am. But it's because I prioritize it and I have made it something that I put on my calendar and it says this thing called lunch. Yep. Yep. That's it. It's that simple. I actually put it on there and I know what time it's going to be. And I always step away no matter what. And I think the other fear that people have is, well, I can't take that time away because they're giving me my lunch. So the expectation is I eat it at my desk. And I said, well, then you deny taking the lunch and you bring your own food. They can't legally tell you that you have to eat it in front of your desk. So they're just afraid that that's the expectation. But the more I talk to the people I work with, like the directors or the showrunners, when I tell them I'm going to take lunch, even though their expectation might be we're going to be in the room, their response is usually, oh, thank God, I didn't want to eat in here either. I'm so glad you said something. <laughs> but everybody else is so terrified that they have to be chained to their desk and like, oh, thank God you said that I didn't want to eat in here either. So now we take those lunches outside and we get to know each other better. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's so important, right? And it's, and a lot of times it's just excuses or lack, like you're saying, lack of time management or lack of boundaries. You know what I mean? And because if you're working at a job that, the, I mean, first of all, it's against the law not to allow at least a 20 minute lunch break. You know what I mean? Like you have to have a lunch break. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's probably different for every state, but it, you know, there has to be a, there has to be a break in there. I mean, the union makes people take breaks. Like you have to take breaks. Right. So I don't know. I feel like it's, it's all about boundaries. It's all about taking care of yourself. And, you know, you, you're a more productive employee if you're taking care of yourself in that way, you know, and employers understand that they, they 100% understand it. And you can break, break the mold and break the paradigm in that sense and, and step away. And, you know, and it gives other people permission to do the same because I think most people are wanting to do it. And they're like, you're saying they're just scared to death, you know? Yeah. And then that permission to do it is huge. But I think that the, the other side of it, and I have heard this from people legitimately, and I believe them where they say, you don't understand if I step away from my desk and I take a walking break or I eat away from my desk, I'll probably get fired. My response is then you need to quit yeah, today because exactly. you should not be putting yourself in that position ever. No human being is worth being treated that way. I agree. Yeah. That's like being a caged animal, <laughs> right? Well, it's funny because one of the jokes that we'll, uh, we'll talk about in our industry often is that if you're an editor and you have like a, a glass windowed office, you put a sign up that just says, please do not feed or interact with the editor. <laughs> right? And then the other joke that I make is that they have to put our, uh, our door frames up a couple inches higher than most so they have room to slide the pizza box oh, under. Oh my goodness. That's the culture sad. that I'm dealing with. That's sad. Yeah, no, it's, it's not easy, right? So that, that there's a reason why I don't have a lot of competition because there's nobody in the fitness industry that said, what sector can we really hit next? I know. Film editors, they want to get healthier. That doesn't really happen. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's an uphill battle, but I, I'm slowly seeing the worm turn. But it's a, it's a slow process. It's a game of chess. It's not a game of checkers. And the diet industry is all about the next game of checkers. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and we get sucked in, right? Because that's, like I said in the very beginning, that's human nature. We want convenience. We want the quick fix, you know? And that's just never sustainable. It never lasts long term. It's not a permanent change, you know, and this work that you and I are doing together, this is where the real sustainable change happens, you know, and you you build these habits for a lifetime that will take you forward and really transform your relationship with food and how you relate to it and you know, the things that you do with it and why. Yep. And I'm, I'm in it for the long game and I cannot stress enough what an amazing experience it has been working together so far. And there's still more work to be done. I'm very much a work in progress, but we have, uh, have a long ways to go yet. Um, and speaking of a long ways to go, I can't believe that it's already been an hour. I, I don't even <laughs> possibly know how that happened. Um, but I'm like, oh my God, my timer says an hour. Uh, so I want to be respectful of your time, be respectful of the time of the people that are listening. Um, but at the same time, if somebody had a few of these aha moments that I did the first couple of times I was uh, introduced to you and they said, whoa, this person gets me and I want to work with them. How can they learn more about you and your work? Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, my, my website is karmachow.com, like good karma and chow, like food, C-H-O-W. Dot com And I also have, uh, you know, um, that's all my social media, Karma Chow, everywhere. And then I also have a private group on Facebook called the Food Freedom Breakthrough. And that's a great place to, if you kind of want to dabble and look at what's going on and get support in a private setting, because I know that, that this stuff can be 
for a lot of people, it's they're they're not talking about it. You know, I was hiding it, and so it's a great place to go to get support. Where there's a lot of people in there who are struggling, and there's also a lot of people who I'm working with that are doing great and having incredible transformation, and they're sharing that and they're supporting others. So that's a great place to start the Food Freedom Breakthrough, but also my website. Karma Chow as well. And that Facebook group, that's free, correct? Yeah, totally. Yeah, because because I kind of just jumped right in and, you know, did the full coaching program and I didn't realize for a while. I'm like, oh, wait, anybody can join this group. It's not just me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I want to make sure that people know that there's a place to go for support right now for free. Yes, absolutely. Excellent. Well, I cannot thank you enough for all the time that we've spent together, both on this call today, but also in many, many of our private sessions where I have just jabbered on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> and somehow you keep answering your phone for the next call. I don't know why, I but, love it. <laughs> but I very, very much appreciate this and appreciate your time. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope this was helpful to people and that they could get some insight. And thank you for sharing so openly and, and doing the work. It's really, really inspiring. I hope you enjoyed this interview with transformational eating coach, Melissa Costello. If you'd like to access the original show notes, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode eight four. Next week in part four of this five-part interview series, I'm sharing yet another of my favorite interviews with mindfulness teacher and former monk, Corey Mascara, who's going to teach us about finding presence amidst the chaos of the holiday season, or frankly, any season for that matter. Until then, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.